Washington, D.C., this is On the Ground. As the U.S.-backed military coup in Bolivia continues to kill and attack peaceful protesters, a rare eyewitness report from a massive rally in La Paz by Medea Benjamin of Code Pink. They're saying to the police and the military, where are the dead? Because they say there are more dead. They think there are many more people killed because there are many more people who have disappeared. And what is it about foreign policy that separates the real left from the fake left? Journalist Ben Norton on Elizabeth Warren's True Colors. She has totally endorsed Trump's strategy against Venezuela. The only tenet that she disagrees with Trump on is his threats of military intervention. Otherwise, she agrees with all of the other aspects of the hybrid warfare being waged on the entire Venezuelan population. All that and much more coming up. Welcome to On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Ivarum. And this week, the impeachment hearings of Donald Trump overshadowed a major debate by Democratic presidential candidates. And with the exception of one country, Ukraine, the hearings shifted attention away from the U.S. hand in other parts of the globe, including Bolivia, where a U.S.-backed military coup has ousted the democratically elected President Evo Morales, killed at least 40 people, and injured hundreds in recent weeks. To protest U.S. support for the coup, Rallies were held around the country, including in front of the White House. Chantel James was on hand and filed this report. Answer Coalition mobilized emergency demonstrations across the country in response to the crisis in Bolivia. Their event in D.C. took place on Saturday in front of the White House, where a crowd gathered for a rally emceed by Sean Blackman. Speakers expressed solidarity with Bolivian leader Evo Morales, who recently resigned, and denounced the U.S.-backed coup that forced him from power and has been violently targeting his supporters. The rally was also joined by a concurrent march in solidarity with protesters in Chile. Roberto from the MAS Party of Bolivia spoke about the critical struggle at this time. La Today, we're standing in a coalition that's the strongest anti-capitalist coalition that we've seen. Long live, long live the coalition of social movements in D.C. Comrades, today we are in mourning. We've had between 18 and 22 comrades die as a result of bullet wounds that were fired from the Bolivian Armed Forces. But nevertheless, the resistance continues and it's only gone stronger. There's been a unity uh, that's happened in the country and we've seen both houses of parliament uh, refuse to recognize Evo Morales' resignation. And that is why the people in Bolivia, the workers, the laborers, the campesinos, the youth, and the people at large are resisting and are continuing in their struggle. We keep on bringing our strength together to make sure that neoliberalism does not return to Bolivian territory. We already know about the criminal programs implemented by the IMF and the World Bank. 
They want to turn back the social progress, the social, economic, and political rights and progress that we've made is in power in the government. The world is with with Answer Coalition's upcoming actions, visit answercoalition.org slash updates. From Northwest CC, this is Chantal James. More on Bolivia and from Bolivia after headlines. Activists concerned about policies inside the United States were also paying close attention to this week's debate among Democratic presidential candidates. National Nurses United issued a statement blasting the assertion by former Vice President Joe Biden that, quote, 160 million people like their private insurance. The fact is that right now, the vast majority of Democrats do not support Medicare for all, end quote, he said. On the contrary, National Nurses United said in a statement that Biden's claims couldn't be further from the truth. They added, the Medicare for All Act of 2019 has 119 co-sponsors, majority support of Democrats in the House. Defending the status quo isn't going to solve this crisis. Defeatist attitudes and right-wing big pharma-funded talking points won't win the transformational change we need. End quote. Last year, The Hill reported that the Reuters-Ipsos survey found that 85% of Democrats said they support the policy. And the Boston Globe noted Wednesday night that Biden's statement is at odds with a new Kaiser Family Foundation poll, which found that 77% of Democrats support Medicare for all. Other important national stories buried by the impeachment hearing include the Democrats' government funding deal that reauthorizes the Patriot Act for three months, a move privacy advocates warn would ensure President Donald Trump's administration holds on to authoritarian surveillance powers. Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has collected more than 75,000 signatures calling on Trump aide Stephen Miller to resign after leaked emails show Miller peddling white nationalist conspiracy theories, ranting about, quote, end quote, white genocide, and obsessing over the loss of Confederate monuments in the wake of the terror attack on Emanuel AME Church in South Carolina. AOC's email points out that Miller was the architect behind the Muslim ban, the rejection of asylum claims, and the internment of children. And climate activists with Extinction Rebellion staged a hunger strike inside the office of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi this week, protesting the lack of legislation to address the climate crisis. According to journalist Ford Fisher, the activists were arrested on Thursday and escorted from the office. In D.C., health and environmental advocates also rallied and testified before the D.C. Council to protest the fact that St. Elizabeth's Hospital, a psychiatric hospital, operated for a month without running water after bacteria was found in the facility's water supply. The hospital reported its water clear of bacteria in October, but the Washington Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights and Urban Affairs, the ACLU of the District of Columbia, and the law firm of Arnold and Porter announced the filing of a federal class action lawsuit against the district and district officials, stating that conditions in the hospital during the month-long water outage were horrifying. This week, members of the Amalgamated Transit Union manned several picket lines in support of striking Metrobus employees 
who work for a privatized garage in Northern Virginia. The drivers say that Transdev, a French private company, provides less pay, worse benefits, and worse safety standards than other regional bus drivers receive. Also this week, tenants of Garfield Terrace Public Housing in Northwest D.C. announced at a press conference their intention to purchase their apartments with the aim of providing better maintenance and avoiding displacement because of the planned demolition of their buildings. Paul Jones, president of the Columbia Heights Tenants Association, told the residents that they can use TOPA or the Tenant Opportunity to Purchase Act to fight for their homes. TOPA is what is needed. I want to give, I'd like everybody to give themselves a, a round of applause for coming out today. Because this is what we need. We need our people to come out and stand strong together. Understand our rights and fight for our rights. We are here to stay. We cannot let people drive us out. We fight for people across the water, but we cannot fight for our people that live in our own backyard. There are no oil fields in Washington, D.C., but they still should fight for us. We cannot sit alone and let this thing go silently. We have to stand up and continue to fight for our people. TOPA is something that we have to take advantage of. The tenants' press conference was sponsored by the organization Can I Live, which advocates for residents of public housing. Thank you to Lydia Curtis for reporting on this story. And finally, in Culture and Media, a D.C. program to celebrate and support the historic Highlander Center is Friday, November 22nd at 5.30 p.m. tonight as we go to broadcast at the Institute for Policy Studies, 1301 Connecticut Avenue in Northwest D.C., grounded in its legacy as part of progressive labor movements, black freedom struggles, and the fight for environmental justice. Highlander has been a catalyst for grassroots popular education and multiracial organizing across Appalachia and the American South throughout its 87-year history. The center has consistently fought oppositional forces, including a recent attack during which a Highlander building was destroyed by fire and a white supremacist symbol was spray-painted in the parking lot. Ways to support Highlander are listed at highlandercenter.org. That's highlandercenter.org. And those are our headlines and happenings. When we come back, on the ground in Bolivia with Medea Benjamin and Ty Berry. Stay with us. Justice, justice. 
They just came on a long march from El Alto down to La Paz, streaming into the city. With those killed, Anya's Asesina, meaning the self-proclaimed leader, families of those who died. Another one, Anya's Asesina. of the people who were murdered two days ago outside the gas plant where they were doing a blockade as people have been doing all over the country to shut this country down and say no to the coup. And the military came in, helicopters, tanks, heavily armed, shot at the people. And also they're saying to the 
police and the military, where are the dead? Because they say there are more dead that the, the military took and have not given the people back the bodies. They think there are many more people killed because there are many more people who have disappeared. So they're calling on the military to give us the bodies. If, if años no se va, la paz no volverá. So if años doesn't leave, there will be no peace here. If años doesn't leave, there will be no peace. Well, this is the largest demonstration we have seen since we're here. It is just enormous. I mean, there's no way to even show you how big this is. It's gone all the way down several blocks. Keeps going. It started out with the caskets of those who were murdered two days ago at the gas plant in Sencata, El Alto, which is the city right above La Paz. To get some chickens and to get some gas. So they're calling for the self-proclaimed President Andes to resign. They call her an assassin because she was the one that gave the order to the military that they wouldn't be prosecuted for what they are doing to, quote, pacify the people, which is a green light to go and kill. So they asked for her to resign justice for those killed in Sankata. From what I know, it's very simple. They want her and Leo to resign. They just want them to resign, and then they want to have a, tempor a real temporary president, and then they want elections within 90 days. Everybody wants the same thing. It's just these racist, fascist government doesn't want it. So do you want me to go find a bridge? leaves there will be peace and this is uh, a massive massive march you can't imagine how many people are here I would say tens of thousands the local press probably won't even cover it they have been calling these people terrorists as you can see these are not terrorists these are humble people who have been so negatively affected by this coup unless the two weeks coup leaders have turned everything around here giving the military and the police a green light to use live bullets and tear gas against peaceful protesters and she has taken over the press so that people don't see what's really going on here she has dismissed all the ministers who were there before, put in her own cabinet. She has blocked off the entire area where the government works so the people can't get there.
She says, we are not Marxists, we are not terrorists. You have to respect us from El Alto. No, someone. You have to respect us from El Alto. We are not communists. We are not terrorists. And of course, that's what the media has been saying. Now they're also saying to the the police and the military, where are our dead? Because they have eight bodies, but they think there are more. There are people who are unaccounted for, and they think that the military has taken the bodies. And they're saying, if Anya's leaves, we will have peace again in Bolivia. They want an end to the coup. So I'm going to go down. Ustedes son alteñas. So the, the, the government has said that there were no live bullets that were shot by the military. So he's saying, As soon as she came into power, this flag started being burned. And we want the bodies of our dead people to be brought back to us. These are, these are the symbols of our ancestors, and they have disrespected us. They have taken our dead, and they're saying to the police and the military, that you should mutiny. You shouldn't be listening to these orders. Oh no. Uh-oh. There's tear gas down there. Tear gas down there. Uh-oh, you can see this is a totally peaceful demonstration. And now they're tear gassing people and people are gonna start running and this is gonna get ugly. This is a totally peaceful demonstration that the police are coming. And look at all that tear gas now. All right, we're gonna look for a safe place to keep filming. But this is the kind of repression that the government does to peaceful demonstrators. As you can see, you've seen this whole thing yourselves. This has been totally peaceful. Yeah. And there are all kinds of rumors. People are running. Yeah. Oh, the gases? Yeah. They're gassing people. Why are they gassing? We don't know, but they are down there. That's right in front of where we stay, you know. Yeah. All right, so people are running. And this, there are people are running now. Because there's... Why, they let them march the other day. What are they doing? They're worried that the military
military is coming. I don't understand why they would shoot tear gas at this time. They let well, I smell marches. It. Yeah, they, no, that's tear gas. Yep. No so they're tear gassing this people peaceful protest. So let people know this is the way this quote democratic and, government functions. And guess what? They pro they tear gas the ca caskets, the coffins. They tear gas the coffins. The memorial procession they tear gas. Well, it's hard to breathe now. Hard to breathe. I want to get you down. Hard to breathe. Stop. I want okay. to get you down. That way? Yeah. Here's the cars. <coughs> Okay, <laughs> we can't breathe. We can't see. Tear gas to all these people. Okay. All right, I'm gonna have to go. Let the world know what's happening. You are listening to live coverage of the attack on peaceful protesters in La Paz, Bolivia, on November 21st, 2019. Produced from a live stream by Medea Benjamin and Ty Berry of Code Pink. This is On the Ground on Pacifica Radio. On the ground, on the ground show.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Averam, and I'm joined now by Ben Norton. He's a reporter with the Gray Zone and also a contributor to Consortium News and other media outlets. Welcome back to the show, Ben. Of course, thanks for having me. Well, right before this segment, I played what was really pretty harrowing audio from on the ground reporting in Bolivia by Medea Benjamin initially live stream on Facebook. And it really depicted peaceful demonstration of indigenous people on Thursday being broken up by tear gas and violent repression by the military and the police in La Paz. The people targeted in the demonstration were actually some of the families of those murdered by police uh, a week ago, and they were carrying the coffins of their loved ones. So I kind of wanted to start there because I know you've done some reporting in Bolivia. And can you just tell me what you know about the latest there? My understanding is that there was supposed to be an important vote 
on yesterday by the people who are actually elected representatives there to do away with this rule of impunity for the military for uh, uh, just killing people. Absolutely. Well, the first thing we should realize is that there are still democratically elected members of the legislature, but they're not able to actually participate in the electoral process. This is completely a dictatorship. This is a military junta, and there's no pretense left of democracy. Now, you might hear corporate media outlets claim that this is a transition government. The New York Times, Associated Press, Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, all of them endorsed the overthrow of the democratically elected president, Evo Morales, and paved the way for this fascist coup. And now they're all trying to pretend like this military junta is a so-called transitional government. It's not. It is a dictatorship. And they're taking every step they can to dismantle the democracy, to overturn the the new constitution that was voted on in 2009 by the people. They're trying to undo all of the work that Evo Morales and his progressive movement and his party, the movement towards socialism, accomplished in the past 13 years, which is cutting poverty by, by over half, which is drastically expanding social services, including creating a universal health care system, which perhaps most important of all, is incorporating the indigenous majority who makes up nearly two-thirds of the population into the fabric of the state, into the governing apparatus. So there are indigenous people who are part of the government, or who were part of the government under Morales, and there are zero indigenous people involved in this new coup regime, which is just run by the far-right extremist elite. And they are systematically not only dismantling these state institutions, they're actually imprisoning and arresting many of the democratically elected lawmakers from the Movement Towards Socialism Party, MAS. And you might have seen that, yeah, there are some members of this party, of MAS, in the, who have basically just locked themselves inside the legislature so that they can't be, they can't, they can be present for these votes that are happening without them. But the Majority of members have been pushed out. Some have been physically attacked and prevented from entering, including the woman who should actually be the president right now, according to the Constitution, from the MAS party, who was elected to be the president of the Senate. Her name is Adriana Salvatierra, and she should actually, according to the Constitution, be the one who was vested with presidential power. But the police forces of the coup physically prevented her from entering the Senate that she is the president of. So all of these votes that have been going on have been illegitimate. And this woman who declared herself president, this extremist, right, this far-right racist, Agnès, Jeanine Agnès, she just has no democratic legitimacy. She did not have the quorum necessary in the Senate. So we can talk about you know what the specifics are that are happening, but the generals to keep in mind that that's important is that this is a military dictatorship that is massacring protesters and that is of the first thing it's already done is now it's talking about gas deals with Brazil, with the oligarchs backed by the fascist regime in Brazil. So as many of us said, when this coup began on November 10th, the first thing they're going to go after are the large gas reserves, natural gas, and also the lithium reserves 
in Bolivia. And while they've massacred nearly 40 protesters, they're already moving to privatize those natural resources. Secretary of State Pompeo made the statement this week uh, asking both sides to stop the violence. And I don't really recall any report of violence from the the MAS party, the Evo Morales party. And I'm just wondering what has come to light in terms of the U.S. involvement in this coup? It goes very deep. The U.S., as with all of these right-wing coups in Latin America, is the one calling the shots. The U.S. is the one protecting the coup regime and holding it in power, propping it up. Because, you know, like I said, the vast majority of the population is very much against this coup regime. This woman who declared herself president without any democratic mandate, Agnes, she is part of an extreme far-right party that got 4% of the vote on October 20th. And again, to stress this point in the Constitution, the real president should be this younger woman, uh, Salvatierra. She is the actual president constitutionally. The so-called interim president, who is recognized by the U.S., has no democratic legitimacy. And mm. her first act as so-called interim president was she marched into the presidential palace holding a giant Bible, saying, finally, the Bible can return to the palace. And, you know, this isn't to cast aspersions on religion. I'm not blaming religion. These people are distorting religion. And this is an important thing to keep in mind that because this country is majority indigenous, the small right-wing elite of oligarchs, many of whom are descendants of European colonialists or European fascists who fled after World War II, and I can get to that in a moment, they are the ones who associate Christianity with Europeans and with whiteness and with colonialism, and they refer to the indigenous majority as satanic. And this fake interim president, this dictator, Agnes, she has multiple tweets where she referred to the indigenous people as satanic. And she deleted those tweets, but they've been archived. So she's trying to whitewash her image, but she's an explicit racist who said that the indigenous people need to go back to the countryside and get out of the city. So that shows the mentality of these U.S.-backed extremists. And these groups that have been leading the coup have been supported by the U.S. government for years, going back to the beginning of Evo Morales' tenure as president in 2006. And even before 2006, U.S. government cables released by WikiLeaks show that the U.S. government was supporting some of these groups, such as the pro-Santa Cruz Civic Committee. This group, which is led by the coup leader, Camacho, Luis Fernando Camacho, this guy is the muscle behind the coup, and like the muscle behind the coup in Ukraine, backed by the U.S. in 2014, similarly in Bolivia, these people are literal fascists. And this guy, Camacho, comes out of this group when he was young called the Youth Union of Santa Cruz, which is the closely linked youth wing of the pro-Santa Cruz Civic Committee that he's the leader of. And he spent nearly 20 years involved in these organizations. These organizations are explicitly fascist. And I'm not saying that, you know, as an insult, people on the left call, people call conservatives fascists. No, they're literal fascists, as in when they do marches, they do Nazi salutes. In their videos, they do Nazi salutes. And these groups were founded by Francoists, inspired by the Falange, the Spanish fascists, during the 1930s and 40s, 
And they also have a lot of influence from Nazi collaborators from Central Europe who fled after World War II, specifically from Croatia. There are some right-wing Croatian oligarchs who fled to Bolivia, including this far-right opposition oligarch activist, um, Branko Marinkovic, who's now actually, in, he's, he had been in exile for 10 years because he was involved in an assassination attempt against Evo Morales. Allegedly, his parents were members of the Ustasha, which were Nazi collaborators in World War II in Croatia. And then after, World War, after the Nazis were defeated by the Soviet Union, they fled to Bolivia, which was under a series of military dictatorships at the time, backed by the U.S., of course, Maninkovic denies that, but a lot of people suspect that, it, that his parents were Nazis. And regardless, he himself is very far-right and is involved with these fascist groups, and he's a strong supporter of the fascist leader in Brazil, um, Bolsonaro, and he was living in Brazil until this coup. So the U.S. links go so deeply, and it's so similar to these U.S. policies throughout the Cold War, where the U.S. would support literal fascists and death squads that murder left-wing and indigenous activists in order to maintain a right-wing military junta that exploits the natural resources of the country to benefit a small elite who send all of that wealth to banks abroad and work with foreign corporations so they can help those North American corporations exploit Bolivia's natural resources instead of having those natural resources go to benefit the majority of the population, as was happening in the past 13 years under Evo Morales. Well, that's pretty well documented. And I, I was actually really surprised at a related article you wrote about Elizabeth Warren's interview with Pod Save America. I don't happen to be a listener to Pod Save America or, or, or watcher or whatever, but apparently she did an interview where she not only didn't explicitly denounce this coup and this violence uh, happening in Bolivia, but she doubled down on backing the economic sanctions, these really genocidal sanctions in Venezuela. Yeah, absolutely. One quick note, the Bolivia statement she made, she's only made one statement, it was actually a tweet. She didn't talk about Bolivia in the interview, and her Bolivia tweet is horrible. She essentially legitimizes this coup regime, calling it the transitional government, which, again, it is not a transitional government. It is a military dictatorship that is imprisoning elected members of the government that has violated the Constitution that it's trying to erase and rewrite and that is murdering the indigenous majority. So she also refused to call it a coup. And the only Democratic presidential candidate who has spoken out against the coup and called it a coup twice is Bernie Sanders. And as for Venezuela, Elizabeth Warren has been completely horrible on Venezuela. She has totally endorsed Trump's strategy against Venezuela. The only tenet that she disagrees with Trump on is his threats of military intervention. Otherwise, she agrees with all of the other aspects of the hybrid warfare being waged on the entire Venezuelan population. And let me clarify that I'm not just speaking from the comfort of my home. I have spent nearly five months in Venezuela this year. I, I know the country quite well. And I've seen on the ground the effects of these murderous sanctions, which have really hurt the economy. And thanks to the government, 
and the social spending and the programs that were created under the Chavista movement, people do have food. You know, this idea that it's the humanitarian catastrophe and people are all dying, that is an obscene exaggeration. But it's true that there are major hardships. There is a major lack of medical goods because the U.S. blockade, it's not just sanctions now, it's, a, it's an actual blockade, is preventing them from getting medical goods like Cuba or like Iran. And according to economists in Washington, D.C. at the think tank, the Center for Economic and Policy Research, some award-winning prominent mainstream economists looked at the effects of the sanctions before these sanctions were even expanded into a blockade. So this is even before they are as bad as they are now. And these economists found that between August 2017 up to the end of 2018, these U.S. sanctions resulted in the deaths of at least 40,000 Venezuelans. Elizabeth Warren has said that she supports the sanctions and will not lift the sanctions if she wins the presidency. Mm. She also applauded the Trump administration for recognizing this far-right coup regime that, just like the coup regime in Bolivia, has no democratic legitimacy. It, was, it never won an election. And, and similarly, just as in Bolivia the far-right party that is essentially governing now only got 4% of the votes in the election. Similarly, in Venezuela, the far-right party, the Trump administration, is recognizing as the supposed government of Venezuela, which is called Voluntad Popular, popular will, and which is led by the young coup leader Juan Guaido. This party got a small percentage of the votes. It has very little support, except among the 5 to 10% elite, light-skinned, rich Venezuelans who live basically in their segregated neighborhoods and all get paid in U.S. dollars and live very comfortably. And they support the U.S. war on their country, which is killing poor people. And Elizabeth Warren said that if she were president, she would continue the same strategy. So, you know, we need to really keep in mind that it's, it's increasingly becoming clear that Elizabeth Warren is becoming the DNC establishment neoliberal fave. And she's moving to the right and becoming, you know, more and more centrist and toning down some of the progressive rhetoric she used to flirt with. And we should also keep in mind that Warren is someone who not only was a Republican, she was a Republican who vote, voted for Ronald Reagan in her 30s. It's not that she, she was she wasn't just a Republican when she was a teenager or something. She was a Republican as an adult and became a Democrat later on in life. But I think we should be skeptical how committed she actually is to progressive politics and her Venezuela policy and her Bolivia policy is a reflection of her actual politics. The thing that I wanted to go back to is just this idea that especially Elizabeth Warren uh, is an example of these democratic politicians that may have some progressive planks in their domestic platform, but it's never reflected in their foreign policy. And it reminds me that so much of the American for that. It's the same for so much of the American public that we do not relate what's happening here domestically to what this country is doing um, abroad, uh, even to the extent that the money that we want or that we need for better health care, for better infrastructure, for all the things that are needed here really can happen if nearly 60% 
of our discretionary budget is going toward war, the military, the hidden military, the so-called security state. And that is not what's really really articulated at these debates like they had this week. Only perhaps Tulsi Gabbard and, and like you mentioned, Bernie Sanders get close to even talking about foreign policy in a way that that at least connects it to what we need here at home. That's exactly right. You know, like you said, Bernie Sanders is definitely not perfect. He's made some questionable statements, especially in Venezuela. But on Bolivia, he's been a leader and he's getting better. And I think some of his foreign policy team have been trying to work with him to understand some of these conflicts better. On Ecuador, he was quite good. On Chile, so and on Palestine, he's you know he still isn't he's not perfect, but he's getting better. And actually, he he voluntarily brought up Palestine in the debate. It was the only time Palestine was mentioned, and he called for Palestinians to to be respected and to have their rights rights acknowledged, which is something. I mean, Palestinians are so dehumanized in U.S. politics, even by Democrats. That you know, as weak as that statement is, it's actually pretty strong for the rest of the of the candidates. And Tulsi has been great at pushing against regime change wars. And she's really taken on that issue in a way that no one already has. So she also has some issues in, for instance, she actually hasn't said anything in Bolivia. But it, while everyone else, especially the Democratic Party candidates for president, but also many of the so-called progressives in the party, including Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, a lot of them have really dropped the ball on international politics. So it's good to see that Tulsi is kind of prioritizing it and becoming becoming really the anti-war voice. And I think we need more of that. But you're right that there is definitely this compartmentalization where all these progressives say, yeah, I support domestic progressive policies, but I'm just going to go along with the military industrial complex and the imperialist bipartisan consensus when it comes to basically all of these countries that are targeted for regime change and overthrow by the State Department, by the Pentagon, and by the intelligence agencies. And another example of that is in the debate, Elizabeth Warren was asked if she would reduce the size of the military, because the size of the U.S. military is around 1% of the population, rather, sorry, 1%. And Elizabeth Warren said, yeah, I'll expand the military. I think it's something that we should do. So she's trying to have her cake and eat it too, portray herself as a progressive, but also not scare the pro-war neoliberal centrists that still dominate the DNC, and of course still make up the billionaire donor base that are funding her campaign. And let's not forget, there have been reports that Elizabeth Warren is secretly conspiring and working with Hillary Clinton in the background. Well... If that is actually true, all these things will come to light (laughs) and we will definitely keep following all these issues. Finally, I want to kind of leave this on a a note of agency for the people in Bolivia because they were by the thousands of tens of thousands in the streets and they have been staging uh, resistance uh, movements all around the country in terms of blocking roads and going on a general strike and other actions that really aren't reported here. And if they are reported, they aren't reported in a sense of resistance, maybe uh, reported in a very negative way. 
Absolutely. It's very important to stress that, that the masses of Bolivian working class people, especially indigenous people, are out in the streets right now. And like I mentioned, nearly 40 have been massacred by the military junta, by these forces backed by the U.S. And it's important to understand that the only reason that this coup regime can stay in power is because it has the support internally of the right-wing oligarch capitalists who were pushed out of power by Evo Morales and his socialist movement, and then externally by the U.S. government and by the Organization of American States, which is essentially a tool of the U.S. Most of its budget comes from the U.S. It was founded by the U.S. during the Cold War as a coalition of countries in Latin America that were anti-communist and, and committed to fighting against socialism and communism. So the forces of reaction, of oligarchic, neo-colonial, elite European control, these are the forces that are behind the coup regime, but they are a small minority, and the vast majority of the population is rising up against them. So we'll see where it goes. Unfortunately, just like we've seen in Gaza in the past year, certainly more than the past year, I mean, people in Gaza have been resisting since the creation of Israel and the, the settler colonialism and ethnic cleansing in, in 1948 with the Nekba. But, but especially in the past year, speaking of Palestine, there has been every Friday the, the Great March of Return, and every Friday... Uh, dozens of Palestinian peaceful activists are shot, wounded, and in some cases killed by the the occupation forces and putting their lives on the line to demonstrate against this unjust colonial regime. And similarly, the indigenous people and other working class people, not even all of whom are indigenous, just working class Bolivians who support Morales, are in the streets. And similarly, they're being gunned down marching in peaceful protests and the entire world is witnessing this massacre but again the trump administration the oas and other right-wing governments in the region are covering their eyes pretending as if nothing is happening so it's a matter i think of the internal forces growing the internal contradictions between the people and the military forces and the police that is an important factor we've already seen where there are now growing schisms within the military and police because, you know, a lot of these members of the military and police are themselves working class. Some of them are indigenous and, and they don't want to shoot their brothers and sisters. So they can only do that for so long until they rebel. And then also the international community, there are schisms growing where some countries around the world are, are speaking out. You know, Russia, China, and some other countries are saying, you, this can't happen. You can't just massacre people after overthrowing their elected government. Unfortunately, many of these international institutions, specifically the OAS, but also the United Nations, are really compromised and really controlled by the U.S. and by these right-wing countries in the region. But it's only a matter of time, and this regime is so unstable. So even if it falls in the short term, or even if it manages to last a year or two, it's in the long term, this regime is going to fall, just like all of the right-wing military dictatorships in Latin America did fall after movements, resistance movements led by these progressive forces, some of whom came to power in the pink tide 
and they're going to come back. Just as Lula da Silva in Brazil, who had fought against the Brazilian fascist dictatorship, he was just released from prison on unjust, bogus charges. And that is a symbol, I think, in Brazil of how the pink tide is coming back. And I think we're going to see it in Bolivia as well. Yeah, well, I also see that in terms of organizations, Human Rights Watch also joined the bandwagon and just once again showed its true colors in terms of uh, backing this coup government. Yeah. If I can jump in. Yeah. Human Rights Watch, which, you know, is funded by one of the richest billionaires in the world, by the way, and, and pretends to be a progressive organization when actually it's it's funded by some of the same billionaires who are funding a lot of these neoliberal groups in privatization, pro-privatization groups. But at the same time, Human Rights Watch refuses to recognize labor rights and a right to unionize as a human right. Human Rights Watch refused to oppose the Iraq war. Human Rights Watch ref refuses right now to oppose the U.S.-backed war on Yemen. And also, the director of Human Rights Watch, Ken Roth, supported intervention in Libya, which, of course, so-called hum humanitarian intervention by NATO was actually a war to destroy the Libyan state and destabilize what was the richest country in all of Africa that had large oil reserves and now has a complete failed state. So Human Rights Watch is a complete joke, and unfortunately they just continue to show how compromised they are. Um, the other issue around the domestic versus the international is the fact that when e even in looking in terms of the Black Lives Matter movement, the real activists, the real black left understands that Black Lives Matter in the U.S. and Black Lives Matter outside the U.S. as well. And unfortunately, within that democratic uh, centrist uh, community, uh, a lot of the black elected leadership is a part of that now. And so you don't even see them coming out to be supportive of for example, the people in Libya who were being massacred and people who were um, are now being sold in open air, you know, slave markets in Libya. And the vision for what is human rights just doesn't get extended beyond our shores. That yeah, Human Rights thing. Watch supported NATO intervention in Libya and then refused to, to oppose the military intervention. And then after NATO overthrew Libya's government, and destroyed the state and these NATO-backed so-called rebels who were racist, Salafi jihadist extremists, they began ethnically cleansing dark-skinned Africans, sub-Saharan Africans who were in Libya, calling them all Gaddafi's mercenaries. And then Human Rights Watch reported on those mass ethnic cleansings and atrocities as if they weren't complicit in helping set the stage for those very same crimes. And, and the other quick point I'll make is that there's pan-African solidarity between movements in Africa and the U.S., and there's also a kind of similar solidarity with Afro-descendant movements in Latin America. And in Venezuela, there's a very large Afro-descendant population, which is very much in solidarity with the, the Black American liberation struggle. And also in Colombia, in Colombia, groups across the left just initiated a general strike which is the largest strike since 1977. And Afro-descendant groups, Afro-Colombian groups, are helping to lead this general strike in Colombia because the far-right 
U.S.-backed regime in Colombia is supporting many of these death squads that are murdering not only indigenous activists, not only women's rights activists, they're also targeting black um, Afro-Colombian groups, which have many of the similar you know, struggles. They're involved in struggles to fight for sovereignty and control over their own lands, which are being destroyed and exploited by these corporations. And the far-right death squads are killing them along with other groups with the complicity of the Colombian state. So definitely that, that solidarity is, is not mentioned a lot by neoliberal Democrats. But in the region, people all the time talk about how they, they feel solidarity with, with North Americans against, against that common threat of white supremacist imperialism. All right. Well, we've covered a lot of ground, and I really thank you for joining me. I've been speaking with Ben Norton, a journalist with The Gray Zone and contributor to many media outlets. Thank you for joining me today, Ben. Thanks for having me, and keep up the great work. Thank you. You too. And that will do it for today's show. This is On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital on Pacifica Radio. Special thanks again to Chantel James and Lydia Curtis, and special thanks to Medea Benjamin and Ty Berry in Bolivia. You can contact us, support us, and partner with us, and listen to all of our current and past shows on the website we maintain, onthegroundshow.org. If you like the show, let us know by liking us on Facebook or Twitter under On The Ground Show. And we are on iTunes and Google Play under the title WPFW On The Ground. And thank you to our supporters on Patreon. The music we played this hour included El Pueblo Unido Hamasa Ravencido by Inte Elimade. Our theme music is Voodoo Child by Jimi Hendrix. I'm Esther Ivera. Until next time, keep raising your voice. Peace.